Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Silenced by Sound, the music meritocracy myth is a powerful exploration of the challenges facing art, music, and media. Ian Brennan delves into his personal story to address the inequity of distribution in the arts, in the arts and demonstrates that there are millions of talented people around the world more gifted than the superstars for whom billions are spent to promote the delusion that they have been blessed with unique genius. David Harrington of Kronos Quartet says, it's like listening to a fresh, bracing, previously unknown kind of music for the very first time. Ian Brennan is a Grammy-winning music producer and the author of five books. He's worked with John Waters, Fugazi, Flea, Merle Haggard, and Green Day, just to name a few. Since 1993, Brennan has taught violence prevention and conflict resolution around the world for such prestigious institutions, I made it, as the University of London, the Smithsonian, the New School, Berkeley College of Music, and UC Berkeley, among others. Uh, okay, Tunde Adabimpe is a Grammy-nominated musician, actor, director, and visual artist best known as the lead singer of the band TV on the Radio. There you go. He has acted in films with the late Jonathan Demme, and personal note, I just watched Something Wild, but I really need to see Melvin and Howard. Okay, Kristen Wiig and Anne Hathaway, no one cares, and collaborated musically with Massive Attack, David Bowie, Mike Patton, uh, and Mike Patton, to name a few. So, without further ado, please join me in welcoming Ian Brennan and Tunde Arabimpe. Hey there, thanks for being here everybody, thanks for coming out on Saturday, and uh, this is such a great store, and it's, it's beautiful to be here, and Roxanne Gay, where did I see that, there it is, no, there it is, we'll be here in a couple days, so to be even close to that is a positive thing for me, so uh, thank you for coming, and we're just going to talk a little bit, I don't know about what, maybe about music, probably, yeah, that would be a good idea, and uh, then we'll take some questions, and, and, uh, Hang out. So it's not very formal. We're not going to read. I'm against reading at a bookstore. Read. Yeah, we'll just talk. How's sounds that sound? good. That sounds good. We'll riff as. Yeah. So, hi, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> we have a uh, we have a uh, the, the real things yeah. we produce here uh, yeah. together. So <laughs> they may be disruptive, but they might be but way more musical than. Anything I've produced yeah. musically. So. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think where to start. So you 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 started off very punk rock, which is what we have w the the ground floor. It just in terms of uh, DIY recording and DIY scenes, and really just just on a on a local level where you were you were uh, coming up, just deciding that. Um, your entrance to to producing or making music was very—I um, don't know—it's kind of—it's kind of 
there were huge DIY scenes um, that I came up in that the ethos was sort of like we don't need uh, we don't need a huge studio we don't need tons of money we don't need we need barely anything to throw together a record and it's as long as there's a for better or for worse there's a, an immediate sincerity to what's happening um, so could you talk a little bit about how that your your uh, foundation in that yeah I mean I I was not a punk um, but I, I listened to punk music and there was a fairly vibrant scene in San Francisco. Um, I saw the Dead Kennedys at the Planned Parenthood in the suburbs. Uh, so that was pretty great and amazing. Uh, something that probably couldn't happen today because uh, I guess Planned Parenthood won't be around much longer. Uh, it seems uh, almost. But uh, the uh, I, I made horrible records and by making horrible records full of ego, I learned how to make records that weren't horrible um, in that way. And I became more and more interested. I always was interested in, not in authorship, but just in something beautiful being born into the world. And as a young person, I wanted to control that because it meant so much to me. Uh, but increasingly, um, I'm not, I, I don't really care about where it came from. I just care that it comes to exist. And I don't care that there's a product a commercial product, I care that it happens. And a lot of the best music will never be heard by anybody but the people that are there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think some of the best music that's happening in the city right now is happening between people that love each other. And they're expressing that love in some way in this moment, often with children to children. And it evaporates on the air, as it probably should. Um, so what I believe with live recording is so important it's not the only way, I'm not anti-anything, but it, with multi-track recording, you're usually listening to something that never happened. You're listening to a simulation of something. With live recording, not meaning live performance in front of an audience, but you're listening to a time and place and something that occurred. You're not trying to sanitize that. You're not trying to expunge those elements. I'm trying to embrace them. You know, and and I, I really believe in the idea that mistakes should be highlighted, mistakes should be embraced. And when you repeat a mistake, it's no longer a mistake, it's a new pattern. And what commercialization of art does is it, it causes people to not be able to listen as well. And what the best music does is makes us better listeners. We're able to hear more of the world, to hear it more closely, and to hear more music that's there. But we're denied that by a seven note scale, and we're denied that by a five-note scale. And we're denied that even more by auto-tuning that makes those notes always the same. And so with Ustad Sami from Pakistan, he's a 76-year-old microtonal master that I produced his debut record, came out last year. Um, he has 49 notes, custom scale. Um, and he's interested in the notes that are unstable, the exact opposite of Pro Tools, because he sees those notes as being the one that contain longing because they're looking for somewhere to go. And so he spent his entire life devising the system and learning to listen. And to him, his name literally means to listen, right? To sing is to listen. So he believes that singing is listening. So that's a very long answer. I tend to give very long answers. I just that's good. Riffing, is that all right? It makes sense? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, can you talk about um, when you well, 
I'm, I'm sure it's, you know, it's tied into um, meeting your amazing wife, but when you made the, the decision to basically hit Africa um, and, and go and seek out the people who, I mean, in their communities were, you know, like you had to go through when you, when you got to the community and asked, like, who's a popular musician, and you heard a name, you're just like, well, is that person already recorded or something? And you'd have to go past that to find, yeah. you know, who was uh, kind of ground level, you know, um, just in a, in a smaller community. Um, can you talk about when you started to do that and the path that that's taken, on, taken you on? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a... It's a fairly long arc before it became obvious. I guess like a lot of things, there was a, a pregnancy long before the birth. And um, for me, it, it began with doing a lot of benefits for political events and for, for charitable causes in San Francisco. Um, and I would lose money doing them. I would not raise much money. Um, I began to record people every week in a laundromat. I did a free event every week in a laundromat for five years, once a week. And I would deliberately record bands I didn't like much at the time. And I felt like I should record bands I don't like and try to figure out why people like, why are there 50 people watching this band? You know, um, I'm curious. And what I usually found is almost all of them had one good song. And so my belief is everybody has, virtually everybody, I'm, we're trying to avoid absolutes and be on the continuum and get into the gray, but almost everybody has one good song in them. Everybody in this room, one amazing song. And almost everybody has only one good song in them. So they should offer that song up to the world and then go away forever. And they should be given money to never record again. And they should be given money to not tour. And they should be given money to not play music. So I believe in anti-recording contracts, that people should be paid money to stop recording in a lot of cases. I believe in retroactive recording contracts. The big stars should be paid money to unrelease material to unclog the system. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, I think that whether it happens when you're 20 or whether it happens when you're 75, a lot of times people have that one thing that they really need to express. You know, that moment that almost their whole life was bent towards at both ends. And it's, it's, a, it's a purpose, essentially. And I think that gets distorted by the entertainment system and the commercialized system. And Recording's beautiful. I'm not anti-anything. Recording's beautiful uh, in what it can do, but it's dangerous in what it can do as well. And the main thing that it does is dangerous is it divorces the labor from the person. Therefore, you can capitalize on it. And so that person, it, the music that that, the, the person that music came from, it's divorced from them. And so you literally have people that are dead speaking to somebody generations later, potentially now. And on the one hand, that's beautiful. On the other hand, it's potentially a very dangerous thing. And what happens with pop stars, and this is why I started to be very interested in underrepresentation. What happens with pop stars is that almost nobody wants to listen to them, but almost everybody has. So almost nobody wants to listen to these people, but they have. So I, I did an event in London with uh, Joe Boyd, who produced Nick Drake and Richard Thompson and discovered to a large degree, Pink Floyd, and helped them in the early days. He's like a legend. He's American, but he's been in England forever. And he's claimed, he goes, I've never heard ACDC. And I was like, you have heard ACDC. You just don't know you've heard ACDC, right? You've heard them. So he thinks that he is not. And 
that repetition is a dangerous thing. So most people in this room, you have heard Sweet Home Alabama. I mean, you've heard it many times. You've heard it maybe a hundred times. It is a racist song that you've been exposed to a hundred times. How does that happen? That happens because pop music is trivialized. It's made to be that it doesn't matter. But it does matter. It does contain messages, largely subliminal. It's largely hypnosis. The mass media engages in this. And this is not to say that the Beatles aren't great, but if you listen to anything enough, you'll start to kind of like it, right? If Nick Drake was paid, played everywhere you went, right, everybody would be into Nick Drake. But what happens more and more with the commercialized system is that the t-shirt outlives the band. So the merchandising outlives the band. I, I see teenagers walking around, when I see them in Italy, they're walking around with the Pink Floyd shirt on, Dark Side of the Moon, and I ask them about Pink Floyd, they have no idea who Pink Floyd is, right? They just like the t-shirt. Thrasher sold their merchandising rights recently. So suddenly, and I knew it before I knew it, because I suddenly saw all these Italian kids, I live in Italy, walking around with Thrasher shirts. They don't skateboard, and they're all walking around with Thrasher shirts. I'm like, they must have sold their merchandising rights. So I looked it up, and yeah, they sold their merchandising rights. They like the t-shirt. They like the word, right? It's, it's kind of a word that, you know, onomatopoeic word that, 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 that they, you know, even though they don't know English, a lot of them, they, they like it. So they wear the t-shirt. Right? The merchandising lives on. So the problem is largely that there's this dominance of voices. And some of them are deserving. I don't, I, I'm not, on this continuum, there are people that are incredible. There are geniuses. The word gets hugely overused. Tomorrow night at the Grammys will be used over and over again in, in very perverse ways, right? But there are those people, but they're, they're rare. Miles Davis, yeah, he was an exceptional individual. Uh, Shakespeare, whether it was one person or multiple people, amazing. Prince, yes, right? Th these people exist. David Bowie, okay, yeah, for much of his life, but he should have stopped recording too at certain points, right? You know, I mean, not at the end, right? You know, and, and that would have been perfect. Wait for 20 years, and then when you're ready, release it. But how can you be the same person when you're adored in a way that's unhealthy? You know, it's a very difficult thing to achieve when you don't have that level of social di disobligation that's required uh, to create real, true art. So that doesn't answer your question at all, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Well, I can yeah. get back to your question. Oh, sure. I was just, I was just, um, well, I, I totally agree with a bunch of what you just said. Um, but I was, I was wondering about, um, yeah, the, the, the process of yeah. going, yeah. yeah. The process was that, that after all these years of recording people in San Francisco in a laundromat, I learned that you could record anywhere. And it became my preferred way of recording. Live, outdoors, semi-outdoors, uh, kind of guerrilla-style recording. So when we went to Rwanda in 2009 with Marlena's mother returning after the 94 genocide for the first time, um, we wanted to look for music, and so we did. And it was very difficult to find anything that we felt was compelling. And, and it's not that we're right, it's just that the, the commercial music industry is, has infiltrated so far and wide that it's hard to find people that don't sound the same pretty much anywhere you go in the world. They might graft a different language on there sometimes, but a lot of English, a lot of phonetic English, um, a lot of standardly tuned guitars, and, and for me, that's not particularly interesting. Um, but I think really what interests me is that 
We have 100,000 releases a year annually in America. On average, 40,000 songs are uploaded to Spotify every day. Um, yet most countries don't have a, a really fair chance. So there's this idea, oh, it's, it's democratic, right? You know, the, the internet. Because you can just upload something in a second. But 20% of songs on Spotify have never been listened to once. Not one time, right? So to say that people have a fair chance against this machinery is, is, is pretty absurd, right? It's pretty naive. Um, and so this is what concerns us. And so we've been on a quest. We've, request, uh, we've uh, recorded and released 25 records from four continents in the last 10 years uh, from countries that didn't have a widely distributed, well-promoted record. And these are modest records. These are, I'm not saying they're promoted as they should deserve, but the good ones from Rwanda were named one of the top 10 records of the year last year by NPR. So that, that makes me happy because they, they're not a world music artist. They're not an African artist in the sense that they are, yes, from Africa, but they should not be seen as a part. They should be seen as equal to all these people from Silver Lake that think they're cool and who they are way better than. They're just not singing in English. And luckily, some people were able to see that. So I'm just curious. Um, what are some of your favorite bands from New York City? Say TV on the radio. Somebody should say that. I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you that, right? Okay, so we got one. Don't yeah, there you go. He's like, he's... No, oh, okay. don't say TV on the radio. No, I would say TV on the radio. But, but who else from New York City? What are some of your favorite bands? Velvet Underground. What? I'm sorry? The Knox. Oh, okay. All right, The Knox. <laughs> okay, good, good. All right, so, so a band that's playing here tonight. Um, who else? I said Velvet Underground. Yeah, Velvet Underground. Who else? We're naming just rock bands. I think there's a lot more to New York City. Yeah. What's that? Okay. And who else? The Strokes. We're still doing oh, Wu-Tang. Thank you. Somebody. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, and, and so we can name a lot of bands from New York City very easily. What are some of your favorite uh, British bands? Bands from the UK. Joy Division, The Clash. Yeah. Good bands. Who else? What's that? Okay, Jamie Collin. Okay, who else? What's that? This Heat. Okay, all right. Who else? Radiohead. Radiohead. Okay, excellent. All right, Ireland. Now a country of five million people. Small country. Okay, My Bloody Valentine. All right, great band. Yeah, I mean, great recording project. Yeah. You can you too. The Pogues. You yeah, yeah, you have to say the Pogues. Nobody's gonna say you too. I just said <laughs> you, too. you just said it, right? Said okay. It. You like but, you too. Oh, I thought you just meant bands generally. I okay, know. okay, I, yeah, that, yeah. Oh, that I like. Yeah, not bands. But you're naming a band. All right. You two up to 1989. Okay. I'd say <laughs> up till 87, but okay. Yeah, all right. Um, so, uh, and uh, other Irish bands. Okay. So you, name, you can name bands from a country of 5 million people. All right. So I will give a free T-shirt. This is from South Sudan, the youngest nation in the world. We did a record there with an amazing group called Acholi Machan. Um, and free t-shirt for anybody here that can name their favorite band from Laos. I'm not putting anybody on the spot, right? No, I'm serious about this. And I include myself in all of this. Um, that, that, you know, this is, this is the discrepancy, right? People can deny that it exists. Um, Central African Republic. Big country. Apparently Echo has a guess, but that was wrong, Echo. Um, Comoros. Where is Comoros? No idea. No idea. Okay, we don't even know where Comoros is, do we? 
right? The country, it's a smaller country. We don't even know where that is. So this, this is the challenge that, that we face, and it's, it's a very real one. I, I did a fall book tour in Europe here, went across the country, mostly with people that care about music to, to probably a large degree or some degree. Nobody was ever able to answer these questions anywhere, right? Ever. And so this is the concern um, that we want, obviously, ideally, that there would be equity. Ideally, that there would be you know, representation of at least one artist. But then we get into, I think, a more difficult thing, which is a lot of countries only get one artist, right? And that's it. And then they're supposed to represent the whole country. So Pakistan gets Nazrat Fadeh Ali Khan, right? 200 plus million people get one person. Amazing singer, right? Nothing against that. But representing 200 plus million people. And so when Ustad Sami, the artist I work with from Pakistan, who does the 49-note scale, custom scale that only he does, when he came to the UK for the first time, guess what they released the week before he came there? A Nazrat Fadi Ali Khan recording from 1985. So that got all the press, right? He came to the UK, but no, he's still getting the press, you know, almost 20 years after he passed away. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, I think in many ways that's almost more perverse, right? Or there's the perverse idea that artists from certain countries can speak on behalf of a continent or a country or that they're famous there or that they're famous throughout and and a lot of individuals are famous here and they're not famous there just like a lot of people I grew up with aren't famous here but they're huge in Germany I have a friend here who's not famous anywhere but Spain um, you know so or in Japan you know that that whole idea so I think that um, you know, that's, that's kind of what we've been moving towards. So who would, since we couldn't answer those questions, who, who would actually want and wear this t-shirt? Let's do it that way. Okay, you would? Okay, you're the first one with your hands up. Okay, I'm gonna throw it to you. We're gonna get interactive here. You ready? I'm gonna, I, I'm, I'm a musician. I was not into sports. That's why I got into music, so there you go. See, I told you, I warned you, right? You should have had your hands up. I gave you fair warning. All right, so. Um, free, free book. For yeah, yeah. Hit by the, the shirt. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think that, I mean, just by and large, because I think, it's weird, I was having a conversation with a friend about, was about animation, Yeah. and um, just, I mean, you could say smaller level filmmaking generally, but there's so many shorts around the world, like so many shorts around the world that just never show up anywhere. You know, like yeah. you can say there's a film festival, there's all that, that, but you're not gonna, you're not gonna see them unless you happen to go to a film festival, unless you happen to, you know, like know somebody who's sends you a link. Like I just, but I was, the thing I was talking about with this friend was, it would be great if there were, you know, not like a database, but just someone somewhere that you could go that you knew, you could sit there and just get, you know the hop hop into the stream of things that you would not find anywhere else. I mean, it, it seems like, I mean, I'm just interested in your, your, your thoughts on it because it just seems like everything's such a fine mist now yeah. that um, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to get even directed towards, um, you know, on a, on a large scale, like it would be because there's nothing like Apple music doesn't have like, a small button that you can suddenly hit that like, you know, places yeah. you, you know, in, in villages, you know, across the, uh, you know, across Africa or Asia, you know. 
Yeah, I mean, I the music that often I've found the most good. compelling in yeah. a lot of the projects we do um, increasingly are with non-musicians. I don't believe there's such a thing, but people that don't think they're musicians. And oftentimes the people that kind of ruin uh, the, 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 the feeling and, and try to control it are if there's one musician in the group, right? Or one practice musician. And as Tunde already said, a lot of times when we've been looking, you, you, you can't find it on the internet. I wish you could, you can't. You're not gonna find the good people on the internet. Um, you gotta go and, and talk to people. And the, the, to me, the best musicians are usually hidden behind some other musician. So I don't wanna go to a country and find the famous musician. I wanna go to the country and find somebody who nobody knows about, or even better, somebody who doesn't think they're a musician, and, and, and hear what they have to express. And again, it's that one song a lot of times. So at Zomba Prison, we did the records with people that for the most part were not musicians. They had an established band, but most of those people, I, you know, they were all right, but they weren't tra worth traveling across the world to record. Um, can, you, oh, yeah. can you explain that project, just like the, the oh, Zomba project, just to, to yeah. kind of like give... We went to the maximum security prison in Malawi, which at the time was the number one poorest country in the world, and we recorded with uh, the prisoners there. It's a prison that was designed to hold 346 people and houses about 2,000 plus people a day, and they get fed every one to three days, um, once, and they get fed very little. Um, and... Uh, we recorded the record there, uh, and there's only about 50 women, and most of the record, the first record, half of it is with the women, none of whom were willing to participate, none of whom had instruments, but amazingly beautiful music. Great reluctance, but I, I really do believe in the, the ancient idea that if somebody wants to lead, they should not be allowed to, and if somebody doesn't want to, be, to lead, they should be encouraged to. And I think that's where true equality comes from. And so we then, when we went to Tanzania, we worked with the albinism community there on Ukarewe Island, which is the biggest inland island in, in Africa. And they're persecuted, they're raped, they're murdered, they're mutilated. Um, almost all the women have not escaped severe sexual abuse repetitively. Um, and none of them were musicians. And we recorded with them. And to me, some of that music is the voices. They're non-commercial voices, but to me, they're incredibly beautiful. Um, and I'm interested in non-commercial voices. I mean, I know that a lot of my favorite singers, most people would not. It took me a long time to accept that in life. Vic Chestnut is one of my favorite singers of all time. But I know that most people would not like Vic Chestnut. Vic Chestnut, to me, my measurement of, of worth is uniqueness. And he's incredibly unique. Whether he's good or bad, I don't care. I care about whether somebody is telling the truth or not, and I care about whether they're doing something that nobody else does or not. So if you go somewhere and somebody's made their instruments, which a lot of times we have, because out of necessity they have, they're gonna sound different. You don't need to have a reverb unit. You don't need to EQ it. It already is gonna sound like something unlike anything else. And that interests me in those voices. So we have a record coming out this summer where we went uh, to the witch camps. Uh, where elderly women have been accused of witchcraft in order to steal their property. People with mental illness have been accused of witchcraft and been expunged from their villages uh, with the threat of murder if they ever return. None of them are musicians, and to me, some of the voices are incredible. And the most incredible voice for me on that record was the last thing we recorded at the last of the three villages we could find, 
because most of these villages are very secretive. Like nobody will admit that they are having these communities because they're in danger. Um, and, uh, and the people that were in charge said, no, 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 she, she can't sing. You know, like, like no, you can't. You, and, but you could just see like this person, number one, she'd hung out. She was interested in the process. We were recording other people. And, and they're like, no, 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 we're running out of time, you know. And then she, she I gave us three minutes more. She walks up to the microphone. And for three minutes, it's just one of the most incredible things ever, you know. And she's singing about abandonment. She's singing about murder. She's singing about her life experience. And I don't think you can transcend that. And I think great art, I'm really was never into sports in, in competitiveness because I think great art, it's not a competition. It's not who's better. Um, it reaches a point, it's like a freezing or a boiling point, where at that point, it's all boiling or it's all freezing. You know, so how do you compare it? It's, it's past that point. Um, and it's something that, that is sort of undeniable. You can almost feel it or measure it potentially. So I'm really interested in, in the so to speak, untutored voices, because they tend to be the most honest. And you commented with the good ones when they were here from Rwanda, and I've seen this on the recent trip we did to Comoros, and we recorded with people there, is how effortless the performances are often. Just effortless. You know, and I don't mean that in any way like, oh, they're intrinsically musical. I mean that they're not manipulating the performance. They play the song, and they play the song. And every time, it's not necessarily the same, but you know you could record it 20 times, and it's like you know they're, 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 it's just the song is the song, and they're they're conveying that to you, and they're telling you the truth, and some cases barely moving their mouth, they're not pointing at their heart, they're not pointing at their head, they're just communicating, and I think that great art um, gives us honesty that we don't get in everyday life that in business culture, we're denied honesty. We are encouraged to lie to each other. Most people in America, if you ask them how they're feeling, they'll say, fine. It's not an emotion, right? They don't talk about their emotions. But Nina Simone, well, we're getting truth from this individual, right? We're getting truth on a level that we maybe don't get from our siblings. We maybe don't get from our parents. We maybe never did, you know? And that's what art can do, and I think that photography can make you see better, and music is a great empathy-building device, potentially, but unfortunately, it's been harnessed by the corporate structure to do the opposite, to desensitize people, to desensitize them to not hear as well, and to believe that everything is dependent on input, that you have to take things in to be able to produce something, that's why they're so obsessed with influences. Who are your influences? But the really transcendent music, it doesn't come from anywhere but inside the individual. There's an element of magic. And I'm not being new age mystical. There's an element of magic. I could do everything Miles Davis did, everything. And a lot of people have tried this, right? I can recreate everything he did or as much as I could know. And I would never even come within a million miles of his artistry. So I believe that that's the danger, is this idea that you have to do these steps, you have to listen to this record, you have to read that book. Not that these things can't have value, they do. They do have value. But so many of the artists we work with, they've literally listened to almost nothing other than their immediate environment. 
That's what they've listened to. So they've listened to almost no recorded music. And when we were at Zomba Prison, uh, there was a big journalist that came. We had the New York Times come, and people come from 60 Minutes and diff different people, great people. And there was one big journalist that was there and just really was argumentative, just could not believe that this one amazing singer and songwriter didn't know who Johnny Cash was. Just could not accept it. And, but, you know, and, and, and somehow thought that they were going to coax it out of them. I started imitating Johnny Cash, right? Like, you know, and going, you know, the guy that wears all black, and they're just like, what? You know, in, uh, you know like, in, in, you know, in doing the deep voice. They've not heard Johnny Cash, accept it. They're a great folk writer, and they've never heard Johnny Cash. It's possible, right? It's possible for that to happen. So um, I should say about the book that uh, this is my fifth book, and it's the, the second book on music. And the last one, I was very lucky that, that, that Corin Tucker wrote the foreword, and she wrote from Slater-Kinney, and she wrote a very short one, uh, just banged it out, and it was just spot on. It was just amazing. Um, and Marlena Deli, my wife, did all the photos, and she does all the photos and video. So I would tell people, buy the book for the foreword and the photos, and then you get 400 extra pages of shit from me. Um, so, and I meant that. Um, and so with this book, Tunde, who's such an amazing individual and so gifted, and TV on the radio is one of the only bands that did anything interesting with guitars in the last 30 years, I believe, standardly tuned guitars from America. Um, although they weren't always standardly tuned, so I shouldn't even say that, but with guitars. Um, so he wrote a, a much longer forward. It's amazing. Um, Marlena again did the photos, so there's quite a few photos in here. So uh, in this case, it's not 400 pages. I think it's something like 300 pages. Um, so buy the book for the forward, buy the book for the photos, and then you'll get 300 pages of shit for me. Um, and I, and, I, and very, I mean this. It's very good shit for you. Yeah, yeah well, I, some of it I hope is okay. Um, John Waters, my friend, uh, I was terrified that, that, you know, how he would feel about the book. And, and he, he goes, I'm reading it, I like it. And I was like, you like it? You know, like, okay. Then he got done, he goes, it's really good. And I'm like, it's really good? Like, you know, because he's not, and then, so then we did a book event, and he goes, this book is shocking. You know, and it's like, John Waters said my book is shocking, which was not even, it wasn't my intention whatsoever to be shocking, but I guess, I, I think some of the stuff is, a few pages here or there, but in general, it's not my intention at all. No, but it's really, I mean, it, this, the stories you get into combined with your, um, just your vantage point, all of it, it's, it's, it is refreshing, it's really, I mean, it's really brutal in a lot of cases in, in the best way where it's sort of, um, I don't know. It definitely, it definitely makes you think about when you, when you said, um, you know, the, the, the anti-empathy uh, bit about pop music or I just start thinking about the, you know, you're, you're riding around I've listened to the radio way more since I've moved to LA because I've been in a car. And it's, if you have randomly K-Rock on, it's... <laughs> hey. If you have K-Rock on randomly, you're getting indoctrinated. Like it just, it's just, or you know, a lot of, a lot of different stations, but it seems like there's six songs this summer. There's this, you know, and like, and all of the, I, I, a friend sent me something, um, it was the Billboard 100 top 10 rock songs or rock bands of the last decade, 
and four of them were Imagine Dragons, and the rest were uh, Twenty One Pilots. I'm not. I'm not even joking. I wish I was kidding, but I just stared at it for a really long time, going like, I don't consider that rock music. It's more pop music, but it was just a strange. I don't know what the metric was. You know, it's like, is it an amount of units sold? Is it you know because I, I don't know. You know, but it's it really is like I, I. When I was, there was a point where I was taking an Uber to work um, for about a month doing an animation thing, and every time I got in a car, it was 21 pilots, and I felt like I was dying. <laughs> like every, not even the shit on them, but like every single time, I was just like, and it's not even the content really, but it's like just how slick everything is. It's like someone just th like throwing the same, like, plain red frisbee at your forehead for like for, <laughs> forever you know like forever that's what it felt like to me and there was another I mean not even I don't everyone's doing their thing if these these guys aren't building bombs they can't be my enemy you know like like that but there was another it was a fallout boy song that said you're gonna the the, the lyrics were you're gonna remember me for centuries I was like, you're not gonna be around for centuries <laughs> to know that anyone's remembering, you know, it's it's like, lots of things are a lie, <laughs> but it's like, that's, that's just, it's just a, a lie, you know, well, that's a really sanded down, manicured lie, and it's it, it sells million, it fills up stadiums, and it's because you don't have to think about it. That's the thing you're, you're saying, like when, like the Malawi Mouse Boys or the Good Ones, it's like, or Zomba Prison Project, it's like people telling you their story. It's like you they're not they're not trying to make you dance. I mean you might, but it's if someone is telling you about their life set to song, it's kind of like you know, it can be it's it's like you're laughing or crying, but there's a melody to it. But you're expressing, you know, Especially what you're feeling is like the blues, you know. It's like you're you're just it's like one to one. You're not trying to. I don't know. It's it's just it's a very it it the book definitely made me think about that. Because uh, I always I I had a. There's a thing that just runs through my mind, and it was kind of like when we were making when TV on the radio was making its last record. I don't know what uh, what prompted it, but. There are certain sorts of art and music that's like, you know, this is a plastic model of these feelings, which is fine, but it's also like something you can, it's, it's a, say you're sad, you're happy, you had an experience and you decide to make a model of it. It's in your hands, you can look at it. It's not, it, it's, uh, the shape is messy, but ultimately you can handle it, you can put it down, you can throw it away, you can make a mold of it and reproduce it. But then there's art and music that's kind of just like, I mean, like a like a um, not a compost heap, but you know, not in a bad way. But you know, like there's something that's got earth and worms in it, and if you dip your fingers into it and feel absorb, you know, whatever minerals, whatever life is in that soil, it, you know, it can put you into a trance and lay you down in it. I don't know. This was a really, and I I always try to gravitate towards that. You know, like I feel like both have their merits, but one is ultimately disposable and isn't is going to be around. You know, it's like plastic. It's like all this is going to be gone, and there's going to be like you know pez dispensers all over the place. Yeah. You know, but that 
feeling something natural go into your cells. Like that's kind of that's kind of um, I feel like the best the best music that I've heard. Um, you know, like home recordings. Yeah. Just the stuff you played for me. It's like you're sitting in a room with someone listening to a conversation, even if you don't speak that language. You know. Yeah. That yeah. was when the when the good ones came and did that that house show. The last the last time you were here, the thing that I was that was nuts about it. You know, we're in, in a kind of like a, a party. Where was that place? What was it called? It's a uh, it's in East LA, and it's called. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I can't think of them. I forget, but it's, yeah, it's kind of like a 187. They're great. It, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's like an old like Victorian one of the old Victorian they houses. They do private that's events. Like yeah. they've you know they private do concerts. they do like private events, but it's kind of like just a, a venue space that's like sitting in someone's living room and they they got on this small stage in basically a living room and it was very intimate. The instrumentation was um, a guitar and the percussion was, um, you know, shoes being like slapped together for some of the songs. And it was just, it just put everyone in the room in this, uh, it's kind of like everyone was in a womb, <laughs> like not a room, a womb, but it, it was very, uh, just how like unamplified, it just charged the room with um, such a beautiful energy. And it, it just was the kind of thing where like, you know, you wish shows were more like that, where you walk away and it's not like, I think about like leaving a rock show and you're just like, God, get me the fuck out of here. It's great, whoever it was. But you know, you walk away from that kind of thing and you're sort of like, oh, I wanna know more about it. I liked the way I felt in there. I didn't, you know, and the whole room was kind of like clapping and you know, there was a, a non, non uh, it wasn't, uh, I forget, I don't know how to say, it's not a, a non-verbal singing part that everyone was kind of doing like a um, just like a very uniform singing part, and it brought everyone together, you know. And it was really, really cool to see, you know. Yeah. yeah. You would just walk away, like, and I still you feel it, you know. And I I think about the last time I went to like a big, I mean, I guess my, I think my perspective is a little warped on shows now because now I don't want to be at a show at all unless I'm working, and even then I'm still like yeah. I don't want to, I don't really want to be in this bar for too long but it's like I don't there are very few shows that I've walked away from that I'm I'm taking it with me and thinking about it you know like after you know not not like looking it up on YouTube and being just like oh yeah that's me like the 81st person in the row back there and like <laughs> I, rem I remember when the guy said is everyone feeling all right <laughs> and I was I was totally feeling all right no, it's like the, the, there's just a big there's a big difference. I guess it's like what you're fed, you know. Like there's some things that feel kind of nourishing, and and you're more interested in, and other things that are just like ow. Yeah, I think I think off. that um, if you feel the same after a song is over than you felt when it began, then it has no reason to exist. Um, and the stakes are too high now uh, with the live music industry because that's where the music is made. It was only a few decades back that the live concerts were to promote the records. That's where the money was made. The Rolling Stones last year broke the all-time record for, oh, in one night they made $12 million. And most nights of the, uh, of the tour they were making 10 to $12 million. Um, uh, grossing 10 to $12 million. That's not including merchandise. 
the stakes are too high to experiment. The stakes are too high to take chances. And the, the, the worst singers are the ones that sing a sad song as if it's only sad, or sing a happy song if it's only happy. Uh, great singers embrace the complexity and the layers because emotion is a blend. And one of the great lies are two things you brought up, and that's when we talk about extremity. And so many songs use extreme language. It's advertising language because it's provocative. But it doesn't, it forces us to not live in reality, and it disappoints us by that gap between what we're told and what actually exists. So we feel many things all at once, but we're not allowed to admit even the layer of what we feel oftentimes. So when my mother passed away two years ago, um, this month, and my father's very ill now and he'll be passing away sometime this year, um, a lot of people said, well, what did you feel? And I know what the prescribed answer is. I'm supposed to say I felt sad. Well, that's, that, it, that was a dominant emotion. But it's a blend. What else did I feel? I felt, I felt relief because she'd been very sick my whole life. I felt relief. I felt anger about a lot of things in her life that she'd been sick, right? And I felt guilt about feeling relief. I mean, that's what I think amazing artists that we feel um, that have that impact. There is so much subtext. There's so much depth to what they're doing. And a lot of times that only comes later in life. You know, and that's, that's part of what happens in certain genres where you've got somebody who's 60, 70 years old and they become a better singer. They are absolutely a better singer. It's not about the instrument. It's not about virtuosity. It's about the ability to communicate and to communicate truthfully and to know yourself, which as Freud said is the greatest act of violence, to know yourself um, and to have that level of truth. And I think that certain artists you know, really sacrifice their own lives in the service of truth you know, for the benefit of others. Um, they're rare, but I think they do exist. So. Unless you have something else you want to talk about, I think, I, I don't know what time it is, my phone exploded on the last field recording trip a couple of weeks ago and we just got to the US and I, I think we're getting on and we, I, I really don't want to hold people hostage at all, but we really appreciate you coming and we'll stay later and sign stuff and talk and ask questions, but if anybody has a couple of questions they want to ask right now, we can do that, but not tons. Um, and then, just because I don't want anybody to feel like they got to stay. Somebody bailed. They were socially disobligated. That was good. Um, but uh, but uh, I know some of you are, are people-pleasing and you're nice folks and you don't want to leave even though you want to leave. So, um, and I don't want you to leave without you know, getting a chance to talk or look at the book one-on-one -on -one or whatever. But do we have any other questions yet? It's in Malawi, uh, which is, do you know where Malawi is? Yeah, Malawi's in Africa. Malawi is co consistently in the top 10. Right now, they're in great jeopardy. It's, it's one of the countries that people oftentimes call a small country. Uh, it's about 19 million people. Uh, there are no small countries. And um, wh when we talk about inequity, um, it, there's an example of this. I was talking to somebody about this today. Uh, the flooding in Venice was in the news every day. Uh, nobody became homeless because of the flooding in Venice. Nobody died because of the flooding in Venice. One elderly man did die because he went to turn on his pump and he got electrocuted, so kind of, but not really because of the flooding directly. Um, that same period, half a million people were displaced by flooding in Bangladesh. It was in the news a little bit. When we were in Rwanda, Christmas Day, they had a huge storm a couple of weeks ago. Huge storm. Um, and Many people, 
Over a thousand people ended up homeless. Uh, dozens of people died. We went to see uh, uh, Jean Vier uh, from The Good Ones in, in his home. Him and his family live in, in a house that's about, um, it's hard to describe, it's maybe about from here to here. And he lives there with his wife, four children, one of whom has a learning disability. Um, and they live there. And on Christmas night, they were standing in their house in three and a half feet of water because of the flooding from the storm. We got there the next day, and they'd already cleaned up, and everything was fine. And, and it was never in the news. It was never even on the BBC, probably somewhere. I never even saw it on the BBC, which usually are pretty good about reporting this stuff. That's inequity. And that's what we have on so many different levels. And it's, there's no way we can believe in meritocracy until it actually exists. And equality is not treating everybody the same. Equality is making sure that everybody has the same chance. And we have to make an effort actively. It can't be a passive process. It's like with racism. You have to be anti-racist, as the great book says. It's not enough to say, well, I'm not. You have to do more. You have to work at these things actively if you truly believe in them. So I did a, a book talk at the Brooklyn Book Fair in the fall, and I was on a panel with three women. And, and I said, buy two of their books first, or all three of their books first before you buy my book. And I meant it, right? Buy their books first, you know, because if you think they're equal, it's not charity. If you think there's four books and you're only going to buy one, buy one of theirs. Don't buy my book. Right? So, this book, if you're interested, um, it's meant to stimulate thought uh, and uh, really appreciate you being here. And we'll stay later. And if anybody has any questions, but uh, I think we've got our cue, real life cue. And I believe in embracing real life. Sorry. And, and no, no, I think this is, this is real. I, th I think she's expressing what many people are feeling. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> get me out of here. Right? Okay, all right. So, so thank you. Thank you so much. And, and please support Thanks, the bookstore. So. You know, please buy something, if not it's this book. It's an excellent, it's the best bookstore. Oh, also, while we're plugging other people's stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Morgan Parker's going to be here. Morgan is rad. Yeah, yeah. And so good. So yeah. she'll be here. 30th. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.